Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right. Welcome to episode seven of Stock Talking. We have a repeat guest coming on for the third time, maintains the belt for most appearances on a podcast that's only gone seven episodes. Give a warm welcome for the impervious. Sean Bush, everyone. Uh, thank you, Ben. I, I wonder uh, how many appearances I need before I get my gold watch and perhaps a, uh, a co-host title, but that would be a little greedy. And before we begin, I got a quick thought experiment for you, Ben. Now, imagine you are the CEO of a large cap company in S&P 500, and you tweet out that your stock price is too high. Would you consider that doubting your vibe? It's a great question. I I can't imagine what CEO this question is based on. I think I admire trying to put a price, whether too low or too high, on uh, as commentary on your stock. Uh, most CEOs tend to say their stock is too low, but I think there's something really special about saying it's too high. So if anything, I'd say wh- whoever said that is really feeling their vibe. So that is not doubting your vibe. Thank you. Of course, uh, we need to talk about Elon Musk. That, that was on our list of things to have a discussion about, but maybe we just kick it off right there. Because I, I would say of the crazy things that went down last week, Friday's uh, Muskian explosion was, was probably a, a top one for me. We've seen him do some crazy things on Twitter, but I think that was the craziest. I mean, you got to believe that there is some purpose behind that. I've seen plenty of, if you'll call them, conspiracy theories about him planning an exit, seeing that the writing is on the wall potentially for Tesla and the debt situation that is impending, especially if there isn't a reopening. So... My man's playing 12D chess here and just getting out in front of it. But his uh, methods may be a little unorthodox. But as long as he gives me a free fall day trade opportunity, uh, that was the best trade of the week for me by far. The five minutes I held that Tesla put, even though it felt like sticking my finger in a, in a wall socket. But I, I will take that anytime as, as not a uh, long uh, participant in the Tesla stock. Yeah, as you know, I'm the ultimate Musk fanboy. And whatever Elon does, I, I tend to blindly support. This one, I was a little surprised. I'm not sure what the intention was. I too have heard some of the crazy conspiracy theories, but I think the I tend to go Occam raise, Occam's razor on these types of things. So I think it was just Elon being Elon. Maybe a little stressed before having a kid. I think he's got a kid due Monday. I think that would do it to any of us. Definitely. All right, let's get into some real market talk. So we are recording this. On May 3rd, uh, we are coming off a week in which the S&P absolutely surged midweek. It seemed like for a while we might go to SPY 300. I think I even texted you that I could see the market making new all-time highs this week, only to be followed on Thursday and Friday by a meltdown of a coronavirus-type proportion. So going right back down to where we started. So overall, uh, flat on last week, but a lot of volatility. Well. So to go back to our conversation last week, I think we knew that this was going to be a big week in setting some some direction moving forward uh, with some of the largest cap stocks there in the S&P 500 having earnings. But uh, we did see vastly different responses in, in earnings reports on the good side. Uh, Google, Facebook, 
uh, absolutely scored uh, with their ad revenues uh, outperforming guidance there. Uh, those stocks were definitely some of the winners of the week. Uh, Microsoft also outperformed, uh, was up 2% the day after. Uh, even Tesla had an earnings beat getting up to 850 before free falling later in the week. But I think what really set the tone for the market later in the week, and that high you had mentioned came unfortunately uh, overnight, I believe that was on uh, Wednesday evening with the pajama traders driving uh, the, the futures up to 296, I believe, before uh, having it bounce pretty hard off that resistance and that downward uh, momentum was was carried on with a very disappointing earnings call from Amazon. Um, and when you got our, our buddy Davey Day Trader uh, hyping up that call, and you got to know at this point how big of a mush that guy is, there's no way that that is going to be a beat. And that's just intuitive betting talking right there. So to end the week with a, a sell-off like that, uh, driven primarily by the disappointing results from Amazon, uh, and also the tweet from Elon Musk. I think we saw a bit of an aggressive sell-off, and I'd be willing to bet right now the the bears are dancing and just getting ready to uh, buy themselves a new cyber truck or a galaxy truck, as as Mrs. Impervious calls it, uh, with some of their put earnings. But to that, I say not so fast. I mean, if we're going to look at some some technical analysis here. We dipped to the lowest RSI on the RSI 14, if you're into oscillators, on Friday um, when we dipped below 282. And that 282 number also showed strong resistance. So despite that sell-off, we never really broke out of the bull channel that we are in right now. And also two days in a, two red days in a row, we haven't had three red days in a row since March 9th. So I know that doesn't mean much, but to expect a continued downward trend on Monday uh, would require some type of major catalyst. And just looking at the news this weekend, uh, I think the big stories are really uh, Warren Buffett and everything he had to say. Great uh, article, Ben. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, also, some news about the Saudis giving a, a pretty dire uh, outlook uh, moving forward. But what I really think will be the driver in the beginning of the week and probably Monday uh, is this town hall event that Donald Trump has coming up later this evening on, on Sunday, May 2nd. Um, you've got to realize in an election year, he staked his uh, entire re-election campaign in a lot of ways on the health of the economy. So that means that he's going to do everything he possibly can to reopen the economy, despite you know the best guidance from uh, some of the health officials that have been uh, frequently speaking in the daily press conferences. But at this point, there's so much more momentum behind reopening from Donald Trump. I feel like there's a lot more of a catalyst to potentially break past 300 or fulfill your dreams there, Ben, and hit an all-time high in the near future than we are to hit a leg down or get anywhere close to uh, those early March lows. So at least in the early part of the week, I'm looking at, and you know, futures will definitely uh, either back this up or or uh, refute this claim, but I'm definitely looking at a green Monday here um, with a potential downside coming later in the week, looking at Wednesday or Thursday for some some retracement off of that bounce. But you know, if we break over 300 in the early part of the week, then I don't really see much much opportunity for uh, the S&P 500 to get below the 278 to 274 range. But if a, a rally does materialize on Monday, but peters out before we really get past that 288 level um, that we, we started at on Friday, then there's a good chance that that down leg does continue. In weeks past, we've talked about you know what, 
could be a catalyst for a leg down or a significant drop, maybe one of those two CB days that we saw in March. And it just seems less and less likely uh, that that scenario will play out uh, barring some type of black swan event. But uh, with the S&P 500 chart starting to look a bit like a head and shoulders, I think, um, in at least the medium term here over the next couple of weeks, and especially going into options expiration on May 15th, uh, we'll start seeing a, a downward trend um, as the, the economic reality of our situation begins to take hold of the market rather than uh, news about reopening and the expectation of return to, to revenue streams. So I think we're in a position where every week it's hard to tell exactly where we're going to go. But at this point, a lot of the obvious uh, catalysts or pieces that would drive us one way or another, particularly those earning calls, have, have come and gone. And I don't know that we have a, a strong sense for what the health of the market is. And there's been a lot of uh, pundits who have been saying for months now you know, that there is a good chance that there's a significant drop um, and have been calling top every time we hit a, a new relative high, but, but that that drop just is 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 seeming less and less likely as the market becomes more immune to at least COVID news and some of the more uh, downer pieces coming out there. Yeah, uh, on this podcast, you've usually played the role of short-term forecaster, so it's interesting this week to see you go bearish for the week ahead. I think being the more fundamentals guy between the two of us. The past week had some news on both sides, if you're going to play the bull or the bear thesis. I think on the earnings side, as you said, the Amazon earnings, I wouldn't say disappointing. I would say investors were not happy with some of the forecasting around how they're going to be spending free cash flow. Um, it's Amazon's investing a ton in trying to do whatever they can during COVID-19. It's probably not the direction that people thought the company would be going in. I mean, how could anyone at the beginning of the year? So Amazon always has invested for the long term. They've never been a company, I think, that has made investments for the next quarter or even the next fiscal year. They're always looking probably five, 10 years down the road. So I don't know how to trade it. I was a little surprised to see the stock go down 5 or 6% or whatever it was on after earnings. But you know, it had run up quite a bit before that. In terms of other companies that reported, I mean, it was it was nice to see Apple buy back shares, um, Facebook announcing that revenue is stabilizing for ad spend. So, I think there was some good things to take away um, over the weekend. Of course, you talked about the, the Oracle of Omaha uh, giving a several hour Q and A for uh, shareholder day. There's some good and some bad to take away. I mean, I, I heavily recommend everyone check out my article on uh, postcoronastocks.com. I did write quite a bit about it. The thing. Uh, Warren Buffett said to me that really stands out is he's looking opportunistically for the next opportunity, right? Uh, that's a bit redundant, opportunistically opportunity, but he, he hasn't bought anything, right? They uh, Berkshire bought back some stock, but ultimately sold down all their airline positions. They didn't see any acquisition targets they liked. Um, they're just really looking right now for things where they can deploy some cash. I mean, Buffett does not want to be in treasuries that return you know, less than 1%, right? It, cash is the worst thing uh, to be in. Bonds are, are yielding nothing despite kind of where we're, we've been in the cycle. So the fact that Buffett doesn't see good opportunities suggests to me that stocks are, from his, for his, uh, in his opinion, probably quite a bit overvalued. Uh, he did mention that uh, last crisis, you know, when he made the Goldman Sachs and Bank of America deals, he'd taken you know, preferred stock and warrants in those respectively. 
he was four months too early. So uh, part of me believes that experience has driven him to think a bit about his timing and whether we have another leg down to go in, in this particular market. You know, thinking about it more over the weekend, I've been listening to some podcasts and reading some filings. And I think what Buffett said about the airline specifically could ring true for another a number of other industries, right? His point was basically like companies had to raise a bunch of debt or dilute the equity. Um, a lot of companies weren't made to be levered four to one or five to one or more than that. So you'll survive, sure, but you're going to be completely over-levered coming out of this. And you think about sectors like retail, where they already were in secular decline prior to coronavirus. How many bankruptcies will we see in the second half of the year? Um, same with energy and, and some other industries, I'm sure. So maybe I'm a long-term bear now. I don't know. I, I think, like Buffett said, I am uh, buy America, buy a cross-section of America in business and hold it for 20 years. But I think we could be in for quite a bit of pain over the next year. And it's it's I guess you could read uh, Buffett's comments a couple different ways. Uh, you know, obviously, still very committed to to U.S. and uh, believes long term in the U.S. economy. But uh, I think a lot of the interpretation was was pretty bearish. And to focus particularly on his comments around airlines, I think one of the main takeaways I've seen from uh, the the Buffett talk there is that him uh, discussing exiting all positions in airlines uh, is giving a lot of investors reason to think perhaps you know this will precipitate even further drop in airlines. But I certainly want to get your comments on this. But I'm more likely to take the position that this could have the opposite effect, and maybe not necessarily due to Buffett's comments. I think we already knew that he was exiting Delta. Uh, I guess the the rest of the airline exits are maybe uh, a piece of news, but the airlines in particular are obviously in a very precarious position, but very necessary for uh, the health and longevity of our economy. Uh, so travel, especially airline travel, is is certainly not going anywhere anytime soon. But the airline stocks, in particular, relative to a lot of other ones, have not had any type of rebound relative to their lows earlier uh, in in March and April. So to think that there is further sell off is is really a, a bit nearsighted. I don't know that this counts as a buying opportunity, but one of the things to look forward to in the airline industry could potentially be further consolidation, which I think would be reason to be bullish on the airlines. Um, but looking very near term, I think nothing other than the fact that they really have not recovered whatsoever uh, from that low. A lot of that worst case scenario has been priced in. Um, so apropos to uh, reopening and any updates from Donald Trump, I think any indication that travel will begin to resume or there will be uh, an encouragement for different uh, businesses and business folk to get back to normal uh, could represent a return to something somewhat similar. And I don't think anyone could possibly think that we'll be at early 2020 levels of travel uh, and income for these airlines, but they certainly won't go away. There is a bankrupt risk, bankruptcy risk there for sure. Um, but with a government backstop, I think there is at least enough support on that bottom end to think that the price probably won't be going much lower. And I would be more willing to uh, take a bearish position on some of the other industries as there's this sort of sector rotation going on, um, particularly tech um, that are getting close to all-time highs or rebounded uh, almost completely from those lows to think that there's reason to be much more bearish in those industries than airline. And so this could represent an opportunity to find a lot of value 
medium to long term. And to kind of segue there, uh, in, in a normal segment, I talk about some of the uh, unusual options activity this week. And a lot of that this week really revolved around the earnings report. So anything that stood out outside of those earnings reports was, was very mixed with a lot of action on both sides. But one thing I did see Friday uh, was a significant amount of action for uh, short dated calls on both American Airlines and Southwest. Uh, so I think there is reason to believe that there is one portion of the investing world that does see an opportunity for those uh, particular equities to uh, have have some you know return to to previous values based on how much they've been beaten down. I don't know much uh, more bad news could be precipitated, and I don't know that. Uh, Warren Buffett's uh, update there is enough to really push them much lower than they are. So not that I'm going long on anything, but I think there's some some short uh, call opportunities with with those particular uh, airline stocks rather than an opportunity to short them. It's interesting to see you take the contrarian position there. I, I think I'm wondering how much we see airlines move up or down come Monday. Was it new news? It obviously was new news that Buffett had sold down his entire positions. I had seen all types of theories that he was saving up to buy 100% of one airline, that he was reallocating some of the portfolio. I think there's probably some surprise that Buffett no longer wants to own airlines. There's definitely a precedent that Buffett sets where when he wants to own something, other money comes pouring in when he doesn't want to own something, which we've actually never seen. This is probably the first time in our lifetime we've seen Buffett completely exit a position. As an aside, I think Oxy might might be next. I'm surprised he still owns any of that. Uh, but yeah, maybe there's a, a, a case here where, as you said, airlines haven't really come back a lot uh, at the right price. You know, anything could potentially be valuable, right? Like uh, right value at the right price. And airlines are super cheap. I, I think the risks he outlined on the call all still hold, right? The equity could be worthless. That's number one. The the government totally could dilute all of the airline stocks. I, I think at this point. After seeing what Buffett did the last crisis, there's a lot of demand by American taxpayers to actually get equity stakes in these companies or get preferred stock that pays a high dividend. So any deal that the government would make with them, I think has to include some dilution, has to include some equity. Either that or they do what Boeing did, was issue $25 billion worth of bonds at a pretty expensive coupon. So I don't know. I, I think the fundamentals for airlines are pretty weak at this point. There's definitely an aircraft overhang where there's a supply demand imbalance there. The global demand for travel is not what people thought it was going to be. I would have to see some, some strong analysis that the stocks were so beaten down that the intrinsic value of the, of the airlines alone were worth more than whatever the, the market cap is. I, I don't know that that's the case, right? Almost all of these companies have far more debt. Um, than assets. You know, the, the book value could quite often be negative in some cases. So I'm not sure what to think. Uh, I think you have to you have, to have a, a lot of confidence, a lot of guts if you're going to go long airlines at this point. And one thing to point out is, is retail has far outperformed the airlines. And we've already started seeing some insolvency in the retail space. But uh, my favorite punching bag stock, GameStop, 
you know, has not shown any weakness in the last couple of weeks. And I think they're in a much more precarious position. So, uh, you know, video game brick and mortar is not by any means essential. So it, I, I do see an opportunity to potentially, you know, you're right, none of these are, are longs for sure. Uh, but certainly in the short term, there's, there's a lot of potential value there. And one, one more fact I'll add here, and you can take this for what you will, but the last time we saw news of Buffett concerned con- confirming that he sold shares uh, on April 3rd. Um, stocks of Delta and Southwest dropped 10% after hours, but opened green on the following Monday. Uh, so if there's any benchmark or precedent here for the response to this type of news, that's probably the closest uh, we have to a template for what to expect. Yep. Uh, again, I, I, uh, are, are you personally going to take any of those positions? I am, in fact, holding American Airlines and Delta uh, calls based on that that activity. Uh, seeing several different sweeps uh, coming in throughout the the latter part of the day, and I flipped from holding puts on both of those in the early part of the day, just based on the uh, momentum of the market. Um, there's there's going to be a bounce off bottom with any of these really oversold uh, stocks and some type of, of rebound. I think there's more opportunity in, you know, the next couple of weeks, barring, uh, any, any major updates or setbacks in the economy, more, more opportunity to find value here than in some of the tech blue chips, the, the apples and the, uh, Microsoft's or Facebook's of the world that have already, you know, soared to stratospheric heights in the last couple of weeks. So if you are looking at sort of weekly trades, the way I am, um, there is a lot of, and we've talked about this before, opportunity to short overbought stocks that with very sound fundamentals have, have ridden to uh, a strong overbought status just the same way you can get in with uh, some short-term call plays on some of the most oversold stocks, um, depending on the sector. And to use that term again, sector rotation, um, I think we'll, we'll see a little bit in the airlines uh, so, some returning of value there, but looking long term, to your point, there's a great chance that the, the equity is worth zero. So I'm not doing anything more than holding a, a weekly stake. But yes, to answer your question, I'm in on on Delta and American Airlines. Too too tempting and too cheap to pass up a lot of ticket like that. Yeah, we wish you luck Monday. I, I appreciate your point on big cap tech because I think in many ways, Facebook, Apple. Amazon, Netflix, Google, and I think you could even include maybe a MasterCard or a Visa in those two, even though those aren't traditionally thought of as tech companies. Anything that touches e-commerce or cloud spend or IT or anything like that, to me, it's almost the new treasuries, right? It's almost the new flight to safety. Anytime there's any concern, my, my observation on the market has been, you see the big cap tech stocks go up, you see healthcare, and of course, the regular you know, group of Moderna, and, uh, and Gilead and all those guys who have any coronavirus drug in the pipeline, they all surge. And then every, anything small cap or value or retail um, travel just tanks. And then it's the reverse, right? When the market surges, you see the junkie stocks go up and the, the flight safety stocks go down. So it, it's not enough to observe that those two things are inversely correlated. Uh, but I wonder long term which side of that trade is going to win. If you're okay, Ben... Um... I'd like to transition to the week ahead here. I didn't know if you had anything else to, to add there. That's all I got there. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about your week ahead. Well, we still have some earnings reports coming up, even if uh, we had a lot of the biggest and most anticipated earnings coming last week. Um, and looking at some of the, the different earnings coming up, you see quite a bit of different 
payment businesses, some consumer electronics, uh, but also a lot of hospitality and tourism. Uh, so one of the stocks I was watching last week was Visa. And looking at their earnings reports, I saw a few things that were kind of indicative about consumer spending um, and what they were seeing in the different sectors of their business. So one of the things that came out of that earnings report is uh, they announced that volume had been up at um, different drugstores, Walmart and Target. So one of the the plays I'm looking at this week would be CVS, uh, who will be announcing before our open on Wednesday. Uh, quick hot boots on the ground take here. The CVS near me, one of the few convenience stores that I can get to regularly, is always bumping there. So I wouldn't be surprised if they've seen perhaps not an uptick, but uh, not much of a reduction in the overall um, volume of their business. And certainly, they've probably seen jumps in uh, Clorox and, and gloves and everything else. Um, so that stands out as one that I'm looking for. But uh, Visa also mentioned there's significant growth uh, coming from online spending. And uh, one of the stocks that had a, a pretty significant run uh, last week at the end of the week was Shopify. Uh, so I'd be looking at that one um, on the or to, to announce before open on Wednesday. And a brief sidebar here: one thing to add about the strategy that, that I'm looking to take with earnings reports is I'm not trying to necessarily play the earnings reports here. Um, but if you look at some of the movement with Apple and Amazon last week, leading into earnings. Uh, with some of these popular and hot stocks, there is going to be a significant amount of interest in uh, those stocks. A lot of people betting on an earnings beat. So you can ride that wave up. And as long as you close before market close, you can get a significant return there uh, with everyone piling in before earnings. Um, very hard to anticipate where those earnings will land. You can just as easily have a big win as a bad beat. Um, but with some of those big players that everyone's been following or watching, I think Peloton, you can expect a, a big run-up before uh, they announce just with everyone expecting that the uh, stay-at-home and shelter-in-place orders have, have really driven up their business with uh, gyms closed and people looking for alternatives. But to, to carry on here, some of the other industries or sectors that, that we're looking for. So from the, the Visa earnings reports, they also mentioned that retail, auto, healthcare, and education were down 15 to 50%. Well, fuel, travel, restaurants, and entertainment were down uh, 50%. So that was probably the hardest hit uh, industry or, I guess, sector of spending for them. Um, so there's a couple of uh, what kind of looks like low-hanging fruit here. We got Wingstop. On Wednesday before open, uh, that's that's been one uh, stock that seems to be invincible and inexplicably um, been on a run the last couple of weeks, and so that's one I'll be looking for uh, some disappointing earnings considering all the headwinds facing uh, brick and mortar restaurants. I'm sure they do some delivery there, but eh. and then Cisco also on Tuesday before open, a major supplier of restaurants. There's no doubt that they've been hit hard. Uh, have to check into what their current guidance is and a little bit more about how their their business is broken down. Uh, but you have to think uh, with them being a supplier, they've got to be one of the hardest hit here uh, with restaurants still closed, bars still closed, uh, and even with reopening, um, some severe limitations in terms of their uh, customer flow and how much they'll be able to service. So demand has to be pretty low at Cisco and also now considering the different supply chain issues they'll have uh, with meat uh, becoming more and more scarce um, due to the the closing and potential reopening soon, but closing of some different processing plants. 
And one, one stock I've been in and out of uh, last couple of weeks, it's had some, some crazy volatility, but has been on a run is Beyond Meat announcing Tuesday after close. Uh, so I can't tell if that's a meme stock that everyone's piling into based on that fact that uh, meat is, is becoming more and more scarce and it represents an alternative or if that is a potential for a bad beat because of the fact that uh, their business is not as developed as I think a lot of the investors are or speculators are. Uh, so there is a good chance that they post particularly disappointing earnings. But uh, I think the big one to really look for here as a short opportunity is Tuesday uh, with Walt Disney reporting after close, uh, with parks most likely being closed to the end of the year. Uh, theaters certainly not going to be open. Um, I think the only bullish case for, for Walt Disney is a rapid increase in the subscribers of their Disney Plus service. Uh, but knowing that's not a significant portion, at least at this point, of their business, I don't know that a significant growth in subscribers or just even showing that it's reached profitability would be enough to uh, overpower the, the very disappointing earnings with parks closed, with uh, major movie releases either pushed back or uh, on hold indefinitely for, for the short term. And then one area that I think is, is really enticing to me, and this is one I called out on the first podcast we did, uh, is Square coming up on Wednesday after close. Uh, their payment processing business is particularly exposed to small businesses. Um, one of the areas that has been and continues to be hit hardest by uh, the different quarantine measures here. Um, Square has been, maybe not necessarily on a tear, has been holding pretty steady over the last couple of weeks, but have not seen any weakness in that particular stock. I don't see anything coming out in earnings to indicate that uh, they'll be able to maintain their current strike in the 60 to $65 range. Uh, so that's definitely one that looks juicy for for a short, but we'll, with all of these, it all depends on the action leading up to uh, the the close day before they they announce. And just hitting a couple other quick ones, we got JetBlue, another airline reporting Thursday. I also expect Lyft and Uber, Lyft that's coming Wednesday afternoon, and Uber Thursday afternoon uh, to also uh, be reporting some pretty disappointing uh, earnings. With you know Lyft just announcing that they recently laid off and furloughed a significant portion of their employee base. Uh, it's safe to assume that not all is well in the rideshare industry. Let's talk a little generically about trading and earnings. So I liked your commentary on that. I've had some bad experiences holding options into earnings instead of selling them prior to earnings being announced. I think things get crazy with uh, expectations, with companies reporting earnings before the company that you have uh, a call or put in reporting, which can affect the implied volatility price, directional spreads, all of those things. So what I'm asking you basically is if you are long or short going into earnings, let's say you, know, you have three or four days or, or less until a company um, is going to announce, what do you look for? How do you know when to buy? How do you know when to sell? What are some of your trading tips for holding options into earnings? Well, the truth is a lot of it will depend on the options flow that day and leading up to the, the earnings call. Um, but if anyone has been on either Davy Day Traders live stream or Wall Street Bets, you can sort of get the, the simpleton uh, sentiment as far as what people are piling into and where there's a strong bullish sentiment uh, or where people are uh, selling off, I think you know there will be a very strong bullish sentiment for a couple of those ones that I looked at. So getting in early, and this is sort of also market dependent. Um, 
for some of the ones reporting later in the week, if we do have a dip Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, some of the, the good beats I think you can get in position Tuesday or Wednesday and plan to, to just dip out right before uh, close. And one of the tough things about earnings is that you know, all this action comes after hours. So it's such a difficult position to be in, even when you guess right. Um, you know, if you just watch the, the tickers, take, for example, Apple, it's like you can see the price move as people work their way through the earnings report. You know, they get to the top line. Oh, yeah, you beat uh, uh, revenues. And also, you know, you, there's more profitability, but then they get to page three or four. Okay, weakness in the iPhone business. And then all of a sudden, the price start, starts plummeting. So after a, a very promising jump of that first page of the Apple's earnings report, overnight, the stock plummeted. Um, well, maybe not plummeted, but was down 2%, but still closed the day, uh, or at least earlier in the morning, rather, not closing the day, but earlier in the morning, still reaches up you know, 2%. So the, the response was, was pretty manic um, to, the, to the earnings there. But you see the run-up right before uh, it closed that day. And being in a position where I'm making a lot of day trades, this is something, an opportunity that, that I'm afforded. And since we don't have any real blue chip names here that stand out to me, uh, as as ones like Amazon or like, for example, Microsoft, where everyone's expecting um, very encouraging and very significant earnings growth. Um, a lot of these will be very short term, depending on what the action is earlier in the day. If we open uh, down uh, and we get some momentum throughout the day, I think you can look for um, some of the big ones, for example, like Shopify on Wednesday. If Tuesday opens down, positioning for uh, Shopify's earnings or a lot of people piling expecting uh, an earnings beat, uh, that would be a good one to look at to get out of uh, in a single day trade with with pretty decent returns. Um, and then, you know, some of the hotels like Thursday, we've got Hilton coming in before open. I think uh, hotels are one everyone's expecting to be uh, reporting pretty disappointing earnings. So if you can um, get in at the right time for, for that one, um, that'd be on Wednesday. Uh, there, there might be an opportunity there for a, a good short play. But th so many of these, uh, it, 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 it is dependent on the market momentum. And we'll see um, some big swings in the S&P 500. Some macro trends really dictate price movement for a lot of these plays. Um, but it's that last couple of hours, especially the last hour, 3 p.m. to close, where most of that movement happens. Um, so you got to be glued to your ticker um, for, for most of these plays at 3 p.m. But um, getting in at the morning and being able to get out about 3.59 is going to be the best chance at winning on a lot of these earnings rather than holding overnight and hoping that uh, futures don't uh, change your fortunes based on, on movement uh, while markets are closed. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I think when we see all these companies report, it's a huge learning experience for me. Last week, I learned a ton from reading Starbucks, Apple, Amazon, uh, Berkshire, you know, listening to four hours of the Oracle. I don't think there could be any greater gift to a fundamental investor like myself. So uh, the earnings season always is great. You, you get a ton of surprises. Uh, I'm excited to trade into it. So earnings, though, a lot of this is very micro. I think especially when you see an individual company report, you know, for instance, Chef, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reporting next week. It's very much an individual micro company story. You get some macro news, but a lot of it is based on the, the specific company and their specific industry. I want to use this to transition to macro where I know you have a ton of thoughts. So one position both of us were in last week that paid off quite handsomely was puts on FXI. So that's an ETF uh, that is, is essentially a proxy for some Chinese stocks. Um, you've long had this bear thesis 
that uh, C19 is going to lead to an even steeper decline in the relationship between U.S. and China. I tend to agree with you on that. So talk a little bit about that and if there are any plays you have uh, to take advantage of that thesis. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's nice that there's a continuation of a trend that I mentioned uh, on previous shows. And, uh, you know, weekly, I feel like the, the playing field shifts so much that, you know, uh, some of the different plays we have could be null and void by, you know, Market Open Tuesday. But looking at macro trends, uh, and especially the headlines, the rhetoric is getting increasingly uh, antagonistic towards China um, with the potential to have... Um, Some of the the debt that we have in uh, held by China um, wiped off, which would be potentially disastrous for the U.S. economy. But um, with China being even more dependent on debt than the U.S., you've got to believe that they're in a a very precarious situation with uh, exports being throttled down significantly. Significantly, uh, we don't really have a good idea exactly what's going on there as far as their quarantine efforts. They're putting up a uh, their best effort to show that they're returning back to normal and are ahead of the rest of the world in that effort. But there's no way to know for sure. Um, but one of the ways that Donald Trump could potentially pivot away from the COVID-19 stuff is to pile on to China here. Um, and I'll be looking at the the town hall tonight to see how that rhetoric has continued. But um, I don't think. There's any bad plays of some of the big China stock names. Um, Alibaba, a lot of people are bullish on, but I think there is uh, a need for continued growth and especially growth uh, internationally for them and a lot of the online retailers, which just will not happen um, if there is potentially a Cold War type situation with them. Um, The play that I'm still in and have added to my position uh, is HTHT Huazhou Group. I'm still in on the $25 put with the May 15th uh, expiry. Um, Still massive open interest on that. Um, But with, with the... A luck and coffee thesis still out there with some of these plays IQ, GSX, Tall, uh, that they've been accused of questionable accounting. The tough thing is that you don't really know exactly uh, when that drop is going to happen. So uh, despite my normal propensity for some shorter weekly plays, I'll likely be entering some longer-term puts looking out to maybe August or September on GSX, on Tall, I'll, I have to be in a wait-and-see position with BABA. They could score a big victory over some of the other online retailers, PDD and JD, um, since they are in a pretty bitter competition for that mantle of the top online retailer. But if BABA emerges or is damaged by that, either they are one of the great put opportunities or uh, PDD and JDD or JD uh, represent a great opportunity for a short. But I think in the long term, um, you can look to continue just hammering on FXI um, which is actually a little more on the industrial side uh, for China rather than some of their e-commerce or tech. Um, but the, the names that still represent the best opportunity for uh, a precipitous drop due to um, accounting fraud or you know investigation from the SEC continue to be uh, GSX, Tall, IQ. But HTHT stands out to me for the reasons I listed last week um, in a very precarious debt situation. And there's nothing to indicate that there will be travel returning to uh, China anytime soon or that they will be able to maintain growth uh, that is required or, you know, 
that that their current growth is necessitated for them to continue. Um, so those are the names we're looking at as the week goes. And if there's any options activity there that I see, I'll be sure to tweet that out at the impervious. Uh, so stay on that feed for any updates about potential opportunities or uh, some very interesting option activity with the China stocks. Yep. You mentioned you want to be a little bit longer term on some of these names because the thesis can take time to play out. And I think there's always that overhang of a a Muddy Waters type expose coming out on some of these names. That said, uh, I found it really hard to be short in the past. I definitely had some great short trades that have worked out for me, but I've had perhaps an equal number where I've ended up holding the option till expiration or I've sold at, at a pretty steep loss just because of theta decay and the the thesis never really working out for me. I think one thing I'm trying to improve my own trading, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is if you have a short trade that clearly is moving against you, how do you know when to sell? So with with any trade, I think you need to set yourself at a 20 to 30% uh, stop loss there. And there's really no benefit to continuing to hold that as the losses get down to 50%. With any of these it's a lot better to take the L and then find a more appropriate point to re-enter your position at a better price uh, or you know, cost average if you're that committed or have that much conviction to your position. Um, but when, when day trading, there is really no reason to be in a position at 20, 30%. I consider being early just as bad as being wrong. Um, and a lot of that is going to be dictated and dependent by um, the options activity. But one of the things that, that makes that a little more difficult with these China stocks is that black swan type event where uh, news comes out about an investigation or um, them admitting to fraud allegations. That's going to be almost an instantaneous uh, type move. So I'd feel a little more comfortable uh, holding a long-term out-of-the-money put on some of those guys, depending on the premiums there. And that's something I'd be willing to take you know, up to a 50% loss, knowing that you just can't anticipate exactly when that drop is coming. Um, but with the drumbeat of war, or at least Cold War with China beating, heating up, um, there is a good chance in the next two weeks we see uh, some type of catalyst there that really kicks things off uh, with the next phase of the trade war of China. So I'd be looking to be positioned in these within the next couple of weeks and certainly before uh, May 15th, but the safest play would be out later this summer. Um, but when it comes to something like the airline plays that we talked about earlier, there's no reason for for holding on to that any more than 20 to 30%. Um, you can find in any given day or any given uh, week a number of better plays or better use of that buying power um, instead of just waiting for it to to just atrophy with, with a bad play there. Um, and a lot of these macro trends that are driving... Um, price movement, that's going to be true for for every stock. So unless there is a major thesis or something that is holding you in that position a lot longer, um, I'm always cutting at 20 to 30%. Uh, if, if there is an opportunity to buy it back in later, I'm going to do it. But um, if it isn't showing some type of, of trend in, in the direction that I'm betting on, then there's no reason to just think that that will all of a sudden reverse. I think at that point, you're just gambling or guessing. Um, so allow yourself the chance to make more plays and stay in the market another day than just being so tied to your conviction on, on a particular move that you're willing to let it go to zero. And I've certainly been guilty of that. And I think a lot of the spy put holders of the last couple of weeks uh, have depleted their, their portfolio entirely based on the conviction that you know, this, this can't be real. Our, our progress can't possibly be sustainable. But there's no actual uh, technical analysis or, or any actual price movement to indicate that that's 
going to happen in the immediate term, despite what uh, a lot of the the big names might say, and despite the fact that you know Warren Buffett's still holding cash and not in the market. So all of the 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 high level uh, cues are there, but I'm not holding on to. Uh, puts with a June expiration for SPY or anything like that. It's so much more profitable to just be playing these bounces here off of resistance. Um, since again, in an election year, there's so much more incentive to Donald Trump uh, to keep that that leg down from not happening or not happening until later this year. So I don't think it's changed that we're expecting that, but I think the time frame has gotten so much longer in that if you're basing all of your returns on one move like that, you're missing out on so many good plays uh, in the interim, something like an Elon Musk tweet that you can't expect but need to be able to get into since that's just free money. Yeah, I think having more shots on goal in smaller position sizes, I always tend to refer over larger position sizes and waiting for a big move. And your your points on protecting the downside and pulling out after anything 20 to 30% totally makes sense. I need to do more of that myself. I want to ask you a question also about the upside. So my FXI trade, one thing that worked really well for me was having a trailing stop loss at 20%. I think manually, I would have pulled the trigger way too early on that. Instead, I was able to to ride it up and it ends up being a three-bagger for me. Trade, I'm, I'm really happy, but even happier that everything happened programmatically, right? The, the stop loss kept automatically increasing and ends up getting a really good price at the end of the day. One thing I, I wasn't so sure about was I, I ended up um, getting called out uh, on Friday just because the stop loss triggered. Um, if I had had a scenario where I needed to hold the position into Monday, I'm not sure I would have. I think holding risk over the weekend is difficult, and it's even more difficult when your expiry is coming up. So those FXI puts were, were May 8th, so the expiry would have been that Friday. So now you have to deal with theta decay and the risk of a potential huge up move occurring over the weekend. So what are your thoughts on uh, holding risk from day to day and also how to treat options positions as you get closer to expiration? So greed is the biggest enemy to profits. And I think if you are holding profits and have an exit on this on this particular trading day, the the move is always to exit and then reevaluate your position the next day. And sure you get, you know, some FOMO feeling like you missed out on a big move overnight. But I think we've all seen this this work against us. Uh, and that's a little more painful knowing that you had profits the day before and then by open the next day you're in the red. Um, so for me, it's if I'm scalping, you know, something like a, a Tesla put or whatever, I'm getting out of there as soon as I have twenty or thirty percent. But um, some of these plays, like the spy weeklies, there there has to be an entry and exit point before you enter that position. And with some some very basic TA, I think you can get a sense for what those resistance points are. And while stop lossing once you've gotten that twenty or thirty percent is just a good way to let it ride without you know having to to sweat it out while it's going on. Um, there there's a decent amount of opportunity each day that the market's telling you, okay, we probably hit a high here. And to expect that if you already have twenty or thirty percent, to expect that one play is going to achieve one hundred percent or two hundred percent return uh, within the the finite time span of of you holding that option is is pretty diluted. Also, the longer you hold on to a position, you know the theta decay is going to work against you. Uh, so if there is no obvious price movement in your direction, take those profits as soon as possible. I generally am not holding on to a contract for more than uh, one or two trading days. And especially um, the only ones that I'm holding on to are, are really these, these China stock plays. Um, but for earnings calls, everything like that, I want to get out of there as soon as I know that I've gotten that 20 or 30% or just wherever we're at at market close. There's just too much 
uh, unpredictability and volatility in, in the after hours markets um, based on the fact that we don't have a firm market direction here. So if you can play on a momentum play, uh, just realize that there is nothing stopping momentum from shifting, whether that's a Gilead announcement on, on their trials failing uh, or, or something else coming out from Donald Trump. There's so many different things in the news cycle that can have a broad effect on the market that um, there, there's no uh, steady up and to the right with, with any play. So consider it a win at 20 or 30%. Um, and if you're down 20 or 30%, but have an exit, you know, feel free to, to just find the next move. But, uh, a lot of the price movement will show you what the intraday lows are. Get on, uh, either barchart.com or Yahoo finance, just see what those different levels are. Some of the different resistances based on, you know, whether you're into Elliott wave or, uh, you know, Fibonacci retracement, but come in with a plan on where you are comfortable on the price movement to get out of a particular position. And if that situation is not materialized or you've held on to it longer than you were planning to, just understand that there's better plays out there or that you're depriving yourself of the opportunity to finding something better in the immediate term. Great advice. And also follow the impervious on Twitter. I've been getting some great information there myself. So as always, love having you on. You have anything else you want to uh, tell the listeners before next week begins? Yes, yes. Uh, do not listen to Davy Day Trader, for the love of God, please. If you like having money, please do the opposite of what he does. And Davy Dave Trader, if you're listening, have me on your, uh, your live stream. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think he has some of the best Twitter content in the game. Although I will say, as, as you said, his trading advice is quite suspect. So it's been an honor, man. Um, and until next week, uh, happy trading. Oh, it's, it's been a pleasure. Looking forward to more insanity this week. But thank you again for having me on, Ben. Talk to you later, John. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.